feel like winter. It's too, too cold in here. We don't like it like that. 60 degrees down here, man, we're pulling out sweaters. It's like, what's up, you know? Anyway, we want to welcome everybody here. We want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. And we want to talk about Jesus today, the light of the world. And I don't think there's an, a greater conversation we can have or a greater word we could hear is than a word about him. So we want to encourage you to share the stream. Just hit share if you're watching us by Facebook. If you're watching us on YouTube, just subscribe to the channel. Uh, it's a great opportunity to contact some people. Also, like I want to challenge you guys this year. We're doing, um, uh, we have a Christmas Eve service, and not just do we have our Sunday services, but Christmas Eve and Easter and Mother's Day, these are all uh, great excuses. What happened to my lights? Uh, these are all great excuses for people to come to church, you know. So ordinarily they're telling you no, but then there's almost subconsciously they have a reason to come to church because, hey, it is Christmas. So I want to encourage you to grab some cards and I want to encourage you to invite some people, all right? I want you to grab a six-pack. Everybody say with me, six-pack. Six-pack for Jesus. So I want you to take six cards and I want you to invite six people. Just tell them about the, the Christmas Eve service or whatever, but I really want you guys to reach out and try to invite some people this year because people need Jesus. It's a dark time, is it not? We're the light of the world. We have hope. But there are people in this world who have no hope. The Bible says without Christ, you're without hope in the world. There is no hope without Jesus. The governmental systems are not a place of hope. The financial systems are not a place of hope. They're not. They rise and they fall. But Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever and that's right he never changes he's stable we build upon him so the birth of jesus jesus is the child born to set the world free he came to bring light into the world he came to bring restoration into the world and he came to bring hope and healing the reason for that is when man fell sin entered the world and with sin came darkness Light became separated. The light of God's will, the light of God's way, the light of God's presence became separated from man. Man fell into darkness. Man fell into despair. Man, the only light man has was himself. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not anything of in and of yourself. In Christ, you are all things. Apart from him, you are nothing. Uh-huh. It's true. In Jesus, you're a genius. Apart from Jesus, well, we all know how that goes, right? doesn't work very well. Sin brought darkness and despair. Jesus has come to bring light into the world. To the unbeliever, you need to come to the light. You don't know the Lord, you need to come to him. To the believer, you need to walk in the light. Right? We come to Christ and we neglect, we neglect the gifts that we're given. We think that this gospel is this one-time event. Well, I received Jesus, I'm good. No, it's a lifestyle. The kingdom is a lifestyle. It's a new way. It's a new way of living. You're a new creation, new, new everything. In the book of Matthew, chapter 4, it says, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea. Matthew is quoting Isaiah. Jesus was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem, but his ministry was going to be centered in this northern area. By way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. And those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was raised in Nazareth, and his ministry was in Galilee. Of all the places Jesus could have chose to make his ministry, he chose the deepest, darkest place. He was not only away from the religious institutions and the constrictions of the, of the you know, the, the self-righteous religion of, of Jerusalem, but he went to Galilee for a reason. 
because the region of Galilee was the seat of the Roman government in that area. Caesarea Philippi was in the region of Galilee, and it was a land of darkness. It was a seat where the, sh- they, the people there lived in the shadow of death. Roman executions were daily. Romans were not nice people. They were looking for a reason to kill you. If you violated Pax Romana, if you violated the peace of Rome, they killed you. They not only killed you, they took everything from you. They, they took all of your property, all of your possessions. Your wife was sold as a slave, and so were your children. They would separate you. The Romans were anything but nice people. They put you under a boot, and they didn't let you up. And Jesus came as a light in the deepest, darkest place of that time. He came there. Blood flowed down from that region. There was a lot of oppression in that region. And Jesus came and said, repent, return to me, because the kingdom is here. It's a whole word, repentance. Two Greek words, there's a Greek word and a Hebrew word. If we want to understand what repentance is, we have to understand what, 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 what these words mean. Say it with me, repentance is a gift. It's not a punishment. It's not just a gift to the unbeliever. When they come to Christ, they can repent. It's a gift to the believer. Repentance realigns your life, Christian. You get off track. You get off the side of the road. You get lost in the woods, right? You get stuck in the swamp, and you repent, and you come back, and it resets us. The word repentance in the Hebrew is the word teshuva, and it means return to me. Say it with me, teshuva. It's a beautiful word, right? So when Jesus comes, he says, Teshuva, return to me, because the kingdom is here. The Greek word is metanoia, and it means see things differently. And so we can understand that repentance doesn't just mean change your mind. It means return to Jesus and see things differently. So if we live lives of repentance, we've returned to Christ, and we no longer see it the way we see it. We see it as he sees it, right? And what happens is, is a lot of times we get off track. Some of you have done some things and acted foolishly, even as a Christian. And Jesus is like, okay, come back to me, right? Give that to me. Not only that, there's other areas in our lives sometimes that are in bondage because we've not fully repented and given that area to Jesus. While Jesus might be Lord of your, of your life, he's not necessarily Lord of your time, your body, your finances, your thinking, your methodologies. He, he's not necessarily Lord in those areas. Lots of Christians who are born again but still hold mastery. Nobody tells them what to do in those areas. Jesus, don't tell me what to do with my time. Don't tell me how to raise my family. Don't tell me what to do with my body. Don't tell me what to do with my money. Jesus is Lord of your heart, but he's not Lord of those areas. And that's why why there are areas within the life of the believer that are still subjugated. You're born again, but the kingdom doesn't work in your finances, and you want to know why. You're born again, and the kingdom doesn't work in your family, and you want to know why, and you don't know why, right? Because those areas, you have not fully submitted. You've not yielded it to him. It's just a thought. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven. You have to give your time back to the Lord. I've held my time as my own, my Lord. I no longer hold this. I repent, and I give my time to you. That's what you do. Lord, I've run my money the way that I've wanted to run my money. I've done it my way. I no longer will claim mastery of my money. I repent and I give it to you. You see how it works? I've held dominion and sway over my family. I was the one who made all the decisions as it relates to my family. I did it my way. I've been Frank Sinatra, right? (laughs) Someone's like, who's Frank Sinatra? (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. I no longer want to do it like that. I repent. I give it back to you. I want to do it the way you want. That's what it means. We're giving it back to the Lord and we're seeing it his way. We're giving him what is his and we're seeing it his way. Yeah. Christians don't think they have to come to church. I tell them, what? who told you that? We have, this, we have this sort of crazy misnomer that if we don't feel like it, we don't have to do it. Well, if I don't feel like it, it must not be God's will. He never asked you if he felt like it. He told you to do it. Say it with me. Obedience is when I don't feel like it. That's what it is. Clean your room. Mom, I don't feel like it. How's that play, right? Anybody with kids, right? If your kid did everything they felt, you don't, you don't care how they feel. Do it anyway. Take the garbage out. I'm not feeling it, Mom. Just not feeling it. Just not there. You know? I'm going to lay on the couch and see if the feeling hits me. No, it's been two weeks. The feeling still hasn't hit me. Right? <laughs> exactly. Something's going to hit you on the backside. But, you know, anyway, come on. So it's like, you know, we, we, do, it because we, we do it because he says so, not because we feel like it. Repentance because the king's dominion is here. Because the rulership of his world has come. We return to Jesus and we go a different way because the dominion of God is now available to you. Right? Light in the darkness. Light is a meta-theme in Scripture. It's one of the themes that are consistent throughout the Bible from beginning to end. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the oranos, the realms and the spheres and the dimensions of the heavens. And he created the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And God's Spirit was upon the water, and the Lord said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and that it was good. Light comes from particles that are charged and put in motion. These people that talk about evolution, and they talk about, like, we came from nothing. I'm like, well, where does light come from, genius? In order for light to exist, there must be a particle. Atoms, whatever, there are, char- there are particles. That particle, it's not just a particle. The particle must be charged, energized. And not only is the particle energized, it must be set in motion. And it must rotate and move at a speed, right? 186,000 miles per second in order for there to be light. Where did the particle come from, evolutionist? Something doesn't come from nothing. And even if you say, well, the particle was there and it came from nothing. Okay, well, what moves the particle? What causes the particle to go into motion? genius. Oh, we don't know? What causes the particle to be energized? This whole idea that God is not, that God doesn't exist is a complete stupidity. And the ancient Greeks, they said the, the ancient Greeks had the idea that if you didn't believe in God, you were the, they considered you an idiot. They had multiple gods. They're like, well, we don't really know who God is. He may be any one of these things, but the, these statues that we've created, but God exists. And if you don't believe that God doesn't exist, you're an idiot. You're actually an outcast in the Greek culture if you didn't believe God existed. That's why Paul in the book of Acts was preaching to the unknown God, was he not? Because it was a city wholly given over to idols. He was in a Greek city, and the whole city, had, they had a God of everything. The taco God, you know, the beer God, right? The money God, the sex God, they had the whole thing. They had gods of everything. Everything that they wanted to worship, they, they had a God for it, an image for it. And there was an image of one that stood up that was called the image of the unknown God. And Paul says, I proclaim to you the unknown God. The one in the midst of all of this is the one I'm proclaiming to you. So the idea that God doesn't exist is absolute stupidity. The idea that we've evolved is completely stupid. We evolve, we grow, but we don't evolve in species form. 
We don't come from a frog and then we become a snake and then we become a bird, you know, and then somewhere along the line we become a monkey, right? And then monkey becomes the Cro-Magnon man, swings from a tree. Now he's no longer swinging the trees, walking around with a club. It's totally dumb. It, it's, it's without basis. Science is, science is neutered because it denies God. The revelation knowledge is hidden from them because they operate in precepts only given to human understanding. Human understanding is insanely limited. Can you imagine what would happen if born-again believers stopped operating, born-again doctors stopped operating within the confines of that system and began to look for God for revelation and understanding into the deep mysteries of the creation? Do you, do you not think Jesus understands biology? Are you kidding me? He knows exactly how you're made. He know, we don't even understand how the systems of the body work. They're still guessing. Do you know that? We don't know, but we'll practice on you. That's why medicine's called a practice, because they're practicing on you. If you think doctors know everything, you're crazy. They don't know. They know some things, but they don't know everything. That's why when they give you pills, they sit down and evaluate you. I'm not, I'm not against Jesus. I'll say it with me. Jesus isn't against doctors. He's, a God, he's against being second. That's right. The Lord has no problem with doctors, but he has a problem when doctors are placed in a superior position above him. The church needs to get this. Jesus is called the great what? Physician. Is he not? He is Jehovah what? Rapha. He is the Lord. He our healer. You want to choose the doctors as your healer? Then you go into their limited understanding. I don't have a problem with doctors. If you got to go to the doctor, go to the doctor. But go to Jesus first. Amen. I will exhaust all resources upon the Lord before I will ever touch that. And even then I will, give, I will put faith on it. And I'm like, is this going to kill me tomorrow? No. Well, then I'm believing the Lord. You know, come on, come on, come on. Amen. Right. We have to be willing to do. We have to we have to we have to change the way that we see things. We have to change our perceptions and our attitudes towards things. The light has come. We're no longer in darkness. You know, we're in light. Genesis says, well, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. Let's just pause right there. You wonder why you have no harvest. Maybe you've not been practicing seed time. Could it be? We reap what we, that's right. Could it be that we don't sow to the things of God, therefore we reap no harvest? Could it be that we're not faithful in the sowing of our seed as it relates to the things of God, therefore we have no harvest? Some of you are praying for a harvest that's pretty much going to be a manifestation of the supernatural because you've never sowed a seed. And if you have sown a seed, then you need to prophesy to that seed and command a hundredfold. Seed time and harvest. Cold and heat. Winter and summer, as long as the earth remains, God said, these systems will be in place. These aren't, these again are created systems. God created summer and winter. When man fell, the earth became cold. The earth was never cold before. This is all in Genesis 8. This is after the flood. God shifted the earth. The earth shifted. The atmosphere shifted. That's why people lived to 100 years old and, or, you know, whatever, 900 years old, Methuselah, you know, before the flood. Adam lived eternally. Adam would have never died until sin entered. And then even after sin entered the world, man was able to live to 900 years old until the flood. And then when the flood happened, God flooded the earth and he altered the atmosphere. And that's why there's a degrading of our bodies much more rapidly than was originally intended. And this is what he's saying here in, in Genesis. Wouldn't it be cool? To, I mean, we're going to live eternal. You're immortal already. So it's like, you know, that's, that's awesome. And so God is saying this is the way it's going to be from now on. And there's also going to be darkness and there's going to be light. 
You're going to have days where everything's shining bright. And you're going to have days where everything's not so good. Can I get a witness? Right? True that. And we need light. The light shines in the darkness. The Christian carries the light of Jesus. You should never, there is no reason for you to ever be in darkness. You may go through darkness, but you do not live in darkness. Darkness is not who you are. Darkness is not what you are. We are sons and daughters of the light. We are not in darkness. Darkness cannot overtake you. You will go through it, but it cannot overtake you. Darkness has no claim upon you unless it declares itself to what its rights are. But darkness cannot claim upon you unless you let it. People should rejoice, Ecclesiastes 11, should rejoice in all of the years of their life. But remember, there's going to be dark days, right? It's not lollipops, rainbows, skipping down the road in my little pony most of the time. Sometimes circumstances change. A lot of the, the, the biggest thing is, is most of our darkness, it's just true, is created through our own stupidity. We refuse. Our pride in our ego constantly positions us in darkness. We make choices, willful choices, willful decisions, right, that end up putting us in the wrong place. People, places, and things. Broken people, broken systems, broken choices, a broken world. That's what ends up happening to us. But most of the problems created in our life is an unwillingness to follow the Lord's way. You think you know better. That's just the way it is. We think we know better. And what happens is we have to learn by experience. We have to learn that we know nothing. <laughs> That's where I'm at. I got no good ideas, Jesus. I came to this many years ago. The only good idea I have is you. I don't have a good idea. I don't have any good ideas. Oh, that's so No, I'm serious. I don't have any good ideas. The good ideas I have come from the mind of Christ. The good ideas I have come from the Holy Spirit. And then when it happens, it's like genius. Right? And then I'm impressed with myself. I'm like, wow, that's flipping genius. You know? Because it didn't come from me. It came from him. It was brilliant. That's amazing. Right? You need the light in the world, Christian. You need the light of the world. You need to live in the light of the world. There's seven wavelengths of light. There's radio waves, long and short, microwaves, infrared, ultraviolet, gamma, and x-rays. Isn't it interesting that we're just now trying to figure out what this, how we can use light? X-rays came out in what, the, the 30s, 20s or the 30s? We just figured out, hey, there's x-rays. We could use x-rays. Oh, oh, oh. Microwaves, huh? When, there were no microwaves in 1972. I don't know if you know this or not. You're like, what? I remember telling my cell phone, my, my daughter, we didn't have cell phones when she was growing up. She couldn't believe it. She, what were you, like cave people? You know, it's like, what, there was like no, no cell phones? You know, there were no cell phones. There were no microwaves in 1972. You remember that? You had to put it on a stove and mix up that tomato soup on the stove, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Then they had these huge microwaves. We're just now learning to understand how to use these light waves, and we're learning that there are, there are properties within these light waves that are useful to us. It's true. Infrared, ultraviolet, gamma, and x-rays. It's crazy. Light illuminates. You need Jesus when things go dark. Did you know that? Things are going to go dark sometimes. Say it with me. The darkness is not from the Lord, but he is the light within the darkness. That's right. Can, what is the darkness that comes into our lives? Confusion. Hello. Can I get a witness? Right? Confusion, conflict, disappointment, despair, loneliness, stress, heartbreak, and grief. Those are all darkness. 
Not good, right? We need the light in these areas. Jesus reveals things the way that they are. You think it's depressing. And you get in the spirit and the Lord shows you the things that really are. And you're not depressed anymore. Is anybody with me? Right? You start grieving over losses and the Lord begins to show you. It's not what you've lost, Kevin. It's what you've gained. He begins to show you that I'm not the God of the loss. I'm the God of the resurrection. I'm the God of the, re- I'm the, God of the restoration. And I come to a greater understanding of that. And all of a sudden, I'm not grieving my losses anymore. Because the light has illuminated to me. That's why we need light in the darkness. We cannot walk according to the perceptions of this world. We have to walk in his light. We have to see as he sees and know as he knows. And that's a huge issue because a lot of us have to shift. We don't believe God is good. We don't believe God is near. We don't believe we're good enough. We don't believe we're truly loved and we're truly accepted. We don't believe that. There's something broken in us. And so what happens is is we're always at a distance with him. And we cannot fully embrace and let him illuminate through us because we're at a distance because of issues within our own lives. That's That's not a condemnation. That's a reality. That's what we need to understand as to why we can't draw near. Sometimes it's choices. You just can't stop making stupid choices. I see it all the time. I have Christians come to me and tell me the craziest things. And I'm looking at them. I go, hold on. Let me just get this clear. Right? So if you're going to tell me something crazy, just be prepared for some response along this line. Right? I'm going to say this to you. So I'm going to say, so let me get this straight. You're born again, right? Yes. You're son and daughter of the highest. Yes. You confess Christ as Lord. Yes. You, you, you claim the Holy Spirit is manifest with you. Yes. All of those things. And yet you're doing this stuff? You know? Like, like you want to like high karate these people. I have Christians that practice Santeria. Oh, they don't see anything wrong with it. I have Christians who go to tarot readings and they don't see anything wrong with it. I'm like, you're sitting at a table with devils, people. You don't understand this? Oh, I live with my boyfriend. I don't care. You know, listen, I'm, I'm not here to be your moral cop, but the Holy Spirit is. Why can't I get along with my boyfriend? Uh, probably because you're living with him. Right? That's why. God's never going to bless that relationship because it is outside the context of his design. If you live with the guy, God's not blessing it. Let's just be clear. Right? It's true. Oh, yeah. He's not going to bless it. We have people that have, that have that situation. They end up getting married, and all of a sudden the relationship changed. doesn't solve every problem, but now blessing can begin to flow in that relationship. It, because the Lord can bless. He blesses what is right to him, not what is right to you. When you make it right to him, it opens up the avenue of blessing in which he can bless you. We want God to bless us outside the context of his righteousness. He cannot and he will not. Christians, again, here we come back to finances. Somebody's in here wondering about money. So there's a lot of money conversation going on here. Christians want God to bless them financially, but they refuse to tithe. Do you not understand? God cannot bless you. He will provide for you. So let's just say say with me. There's a difference between provision and blessing. Say it. There's a difference between survival success and significance. If you're a son or a daughter, you're going to survive, period. Write that down. You'll make it after all. You're going to survive because God's guaranteed your survival, but he has not guaranteed your success, nor has he guaranteed your significance without your obedience. There is a huge difference. Christians have this perception God's going to make them successful without obedience. No, you'll survive 
He'll take care of you. You can live like an idiot and live like a moron and make stupid choices all day long and continually refuse to obey the Lord, and he'll still provide for you because he's that good. Come on, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's provided for you in your stupidity, has he not? You know where you've been and you know where you are, and yet God continues to sustain you because he's that good. And you're his child. But you can't seem to get out of these circumstances because you're not guaranteed anything else until you obey. When you obey and you submit and yield to the processes that he has come into play, then the righteousness begins to flow to you. Then the blessing begins to flow. But until you do that, that's why the Bible says you're double-minded. God says this and you say that. As Jesus would say to me, Kevin, one of us is wrong and it's not me. Right? You have an opinion that's outside. Well, I think this and I think that. No, you have a, there's, an, there's, a, there's an idol you need to tear down. People worship in this country at the idol of intellectuality. We have a God of our, our, our idolatry is intellectualism. We worship what we think. We worship what we feel. That is an idol that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's true. doesn't matter what you think. Your thinking is irrelevant. We, my thinking is subordinated to his. My mind is to become his mind. Be transformed by what? That's right. Romans 12, 1. You are transformed. You are moved from one state to another when you begin to renew your mind. When you begin to think as he thinks, see as he sees, and live as he lives. Not according to the culture. So we have world culture, we have, we have church culture, and we have kingdom culture. There are Christians who are bound to the thinking of the world culture, and they live and act just like the world. No different. Oh, they're Christians on Sunday. Woo! Well, how do you? Jesus, my friend. Woo! My homeboy. Right back to your riotous life. Right back to your arrogant life. Immediately following Sunday service, if you can make it at all. Then there are Christians who are bound with religious and with church culture. Church culture is not always kingdom culture. It's true. Church culture is not always kingdom culture. There's a deception. We think that the way, because the church acts a certain way, it must be kingdom culture. It's not. It's not. Kingdom culture is as he sees, as he does. So he is. We submit to him. Not, you know, it's not an issue of like, when a denominational teaching takes precedence over what God says, there's a problem. When churches say Jesus doesn't heal, there's a problem. That's church culture. When churches say Jesus heals when he feels like it, that's church culture. When, the church says, when a church says, well, Jesus will heal you when, 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 uh, when, when he's in a good mood or if, if you've done everything right, that's church culture. That's not, tr- that's not kingdom culture. That's not true. None of that's true. We have to understand what we are. We're transformed by the way that we know. It's the light, the illumination of our hearts and our understanding, our minds. We have to live in this. Jesus said, I've come to shine light in the darkness. A lot of things. Jesus, anytime Jesus is declaring what he comes to do, that's the time to pay attention. For this reason, the Son of God was manifested. He would destroy the works of the devil. I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Right? I've come. I am the resurrection of life. They that believe in me will, never live, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Anytime Jesus makes a declaration of why he's here or why he came, there's a, there's a deep understanding. Jesus says, I've come as a light in the darkness. I've come to illuminate the foolishness. I've come to illuminate the the shadows in your life. And I'll show you why things are the way they are if you'll listen to me. 
if you'll listen to me. Yeah? I come to be a light in the darkness. All who put their trust in me will no longer wander in darkness. So as a believer, you come to Christ, your destiny is not to wander in darkness. Confusion isn't your inheritance. Amen. Despair is not my inheritance. I didn't say I don't go through despair, but despair is not my inheritance. Amen. We got to understand, when I'm, making, I'm not making a house. Just because I'm going through despair, I'm not going to build a house and live there. Right? Just because I'm going through a difficult time, I'm not going to build a house and live there. I'm going through it. I'm going over it. You will pass through the fire and you will not be burned. You will pass through the waters and they will not overtake you. He said, you're going through. You're not, it's not going to own you. Come on. It's true. The world doesn't have that promise. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Nothing fair about favor, man. Activate the favor that is yours by right of inheritance. Where does the favor come from? Did you give your life to Christ? It's yours. You are an heir with full rights of inheritance on day one. You said I didn't even do anything yet. It doesn't matter. He's a generous God. He loves you. He, has, he just wants to keep it on you. It's even the reason why he tries to get you into obedience. Not so he can look at you and you can, you can, he can just look at you because of how high and tight you live. That's not why. He's trying to get you into obedience so he can give more to you. He can't give more to you so long as you're acting stupid. Or willful or egotistical or arrogant. Ignorance and arrogance are not your friends. No, people are destroyed for lack of knowledge and pride comes before a fall. So there's ignorance and there's arrogance and neither one of them are good. <laughs> I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you will no longer stumble in darkness. But living light will flood your path. John 8 from the Living Bible. Anybody want living light to flood your path? So good. Here's Isaiah. Who among you honors the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who is he that walks in darkness? Or she? Let them trust in the name of the Lord. Isaiah 50. Are you in darkness? Trust in Jesus. God's got a word for you in every season. God's got a word for you in every moment. God's got a word for you. He always has a word for you. Always. He always has something for you. Always. Always. I love it. Is there a word from the Lord? They asked Jeremiah. And he said, yep, there is. There's always a word. Jesus always has a word. Always, always. Bible says this, wisdom is being poured out in the concourses of the streets. God is taking wisdom and he's pouring it over this world. And as he pours wisdom, he says upon it, who, why will you be simple? How long will you be simple? How long will you continue to turn your, your heart and your ways against the wisdom that I'm trying to give you? Right? The issue isn't whether God's speaking. The issue is, is we're not listening or we don't take the time to listen, or we don't train ourselves to listen. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. Faith doesn't just come from the Word of God. The Bible actually says learning to hear comes from the Word of God. So what the Word of God does is it doesn't build, it builds faith, but faith doesn't increase by simply with the Word of God. If that was the case, we, would, we should be the most faithful generation on the planet. Because we have more word in us than any, than any generation before us. It's true. But the Bible doesn't say that what the Bible is saying is that faith, is that, um, that faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And what it says is that learning to hear. You want to learn to hear the Holy Spirit? You want to learn to hear the Lord? It comes by training your ear to hear the word of God. That's what happens. The Holy Spirit speaks scripture. 
So as the Lord begins to talk to you, he speaks in the context of that. So how do we walk in the light? What is the, what is, how does the light illuminate us? Through his word. You need illumination. You need a promise. That's why we give out promise books, because God's got a promise for you. He's, gonna, he's always got a promise for you. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's got a way. He's got a path. He's got a word. Jesus has a promise for every situation, and he's got a word. So true. So we need the illumination of God in dark times. And where does that illumination come from? It comes from his word. It also comes through his presence. I love this verse, Isaiah 42. I will bring the blind by the way they didn't know. I will bring the ones who can't see. I'll lead them in a way they didn't know. Hmm? You got the courage to go with Jesus in a way you've never known before? Anybody? Yeah? He doesn't lead you familiar. He leads you in ways you didn't know. Hmm? This is why religious Christianity, where we just go round the mountain, never do the same. God does new things, man. He wants to lead you in a new way. He wants to take you to places you've never been before. Right? Come on. Some, exactly. I will lead you in a way that you didn't know. Have courage, Christian. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them. This is a promise. I'm going to show you how to activate this promise. Father, you said that you would give the blind the way that they did not know. Lord, you said you would lead me in a way that I do not know. Lord, you said that you will make darkness light before me and put crooked places straight. I come before you and I command the darkness to become light. I come before you and I command the crooked places to be made straight. That's how you activate the promise. You bring the promise before your father and then you declare it into the world. You command it. You understand that? That's right. Lord says, put me in remembrance of my word. Do you know my word, Kevin? Then bring it before me. And I'll say yes and amen to that. You said you'd make darkness light. Father, you said you'd make darkness light. I command the darkness that I am in to come become light. I command the darkness of these circumstances to lift off of my life now. I command the darkness and the heaving darkness that is upon my body and upon my soul and upon my mind. I command it to lift Right? You have authority. We prayed for healing in two dimensions, by the prayer and by the person of commanding healing into their body. You have authority. We pray and we ask God to do something for us that he's already done, and he's endowed you, and you have to step into what he's given you. He's already given it to you. Oh, God, make my darkness light. Make my darkness light. No, Kevin, command it. Command it. Take your rightful place and stand in the authority that I have given you and command it. These things I will do for them, and I will not forsake them. One of the translations of this verse is the Lord said, I will take you by the hand and lead you. He'll take you by the hand. So here's two, here's two points and two challenges for you. Do you have the courage to go with the Lord where you've never been? Number two, are you willing to get close enough to him, and are you willing to surrender yourself and your vulnerability to him to such a degree that he can take you by the hand? Most of us, he wants to take us by the hand, but we're like a football field away. He's like, hey, over here. Take me by the hand, Jesus. He's like, my arms are long, but they're not that long. You got to come near so he can take you by the hand. And then you have to have the guts and the courage to go where you didn't go before. The bridge from where you are to where you need to be is called change. If you cannot cross the bridge of change, nothing is going to change. Where you want to be is nothing more than an illusion until you change. If doing what you're currently do doing would get you where you wanted to go, you would already have it. 
there's something missing and you need to change. You have to change. That's a difficult thing. Light cleanses and light disinfects. Not only does light illuminate, it cleanses and disinfects. Do you know that UV treatment is more powerful than chlorine? It's true. UV treatment of light is more powerful than chlorine, or more, of water is more powerful than chlorine. They found that missionaries are discovering, I mean, it's like, duh. It's like, duh. You know, like, like how long does it take for us to know this? We, we, that, that you hang your sheets and your clothing out in the sun to dry, and the UV right is a natural sanitizer. It's true. UV treatment. Some of you are like reading your bottle, your bottle. Ooh, ooh, it's, it's quadruple filtered and it's UV treated. Yeah, because ultraviolet light cleanses water more than chlorine. It's more powerful than chlorine. Light cleanses and light disinfects. You need the light of the world to cleanse you from the negative effects of sin and the lingering after effects. So what happens is, is even as believers, we end up doing dumb things. And we have negative effects from the dumb thing we just did. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody here? You did something stupid, whether you wanted to do it or whether you're like, why did I do that? How did I end up there? Whatever. Something that happened and there's a negative effect because you did something you knew you shouldn't have done or you did something you didn't even know why you did it, but you just ended up doing it. And there's a negative effect to that because it wasn't God's will. Right? And so we need the light to cleanse us from that negative effect. Other times we carry negative, we carry lingering after effects. Lazarus comes from the grave, comes up from the grave, but he's still got grave clothes on him. He's still bound. He's resurrected. He's walking, but he still has lingering after effects from a condition he's no longer a part of. So we need the, we need the light to cleanse us from the lingering after effects. Christians become believers and they wonder why they still carry these things with them. And they question whether or not they're saved. No, you're saved. You need sanctification. You need restoration. You need healing. You know, you can go free. We don't teach this as a body. And this is why people are bound. Sons and daughters bound. What? It is unthinkable. It is unthinkable. Like, if you want to be bound, be bound. Hey, you want to keep crazy, keep crazy. You can be crazy for the rest of your days. That's fine. You want to keep crazy? But we should not accept as a culture, as a society, as a kingdom, we should not accept that this is ours when Jesus paid blood to give it to you. So if you want crazy, you can keep it. But there is a cleansing available that will free you. There's a confession, but there's also a healing. So there's the lingering after effects of the action, and then there's the lingering after effects of the things you've carried into this kingdom with you. People think it all goes away. No, it doesn't. Anybody, any Christians in the room more than five years? Anybody here? You've been a believer for more than five years? You, you know that's a bunch of nonsense. You know you come to Christ, and there's still some junk that's still hanging on you. Right? And you're like, what? Why is that there? You know, it's like this zombie. <laughs> you know, just following you around everywhere. The lingering after effects of a life I no longer own. Until I learned to cut the zombie off and how to deal with the zombie or the thing that's attached to me, it's still, it's still there. You don't have to battle for the rest of your life, Christian. Who told you that? There is a way. Well, we're just going to battle it until Jesus comes. Who told? Not me. Uh-uh. Not me. No way. I'm going to fight my way until I find what is, what is available to me to free me from the lingering after effects of sin. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. We carry, so turn over, Jesus people want to turn over a new leaf, right? So we want, we want light to cleanse us and disinfect us from an old world or from old choices. So I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Jesus wants you to turn over a new leaf. He wants you to turn over a new life. 
He wants to regenerate you, wants to restore you. We need this light, Christian. You can't do it on your own. You're fighting and you're fighting and you're trying and you're trying, but inevitably you'll give up because you don't have it. That's why Christians quit. They quit. Oh, they know better, but they do it anyway because they, can't, they cannot maintain the strength for that length of time without the power and the presence of God, without those areas being dealt with. It's just a fact. If we claim to have relationship with God, but we live lives of darkness, we're in lies and not in truth. But if we live in the light, then God is in the light, then we have real fellowship with each other. The blood of Jesus cleanses us and purifies us from everything. If we claim to be without sin, we're kidding ourselves, and we refuse to accept the truth. If we confess sins to him, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It cleanses you. That's what it does. It cleanses you. Sin doesn't, sin do, if you're a believer, sin does not condemn you. You're not in condemnation. Sin corrupts you and sin keeps you from destiny. But you're still loved. You're still a son and daughter. You're just in corruption oftentimes. And you know it, the corruption in the soul. You know what I mean? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one, right? So this is like, not me, pastor, not me, right? So this is the stuff that we need to deal with these areas of our lives. There are different processes to deal with the areas of your life. You have to break things off of your life. You have to appropriate the authority that's given to you. We don't teach spiritual uh, authority in the churches anymore. We don't. We don't teach deliverance in the churches anymore. What is deliverance? Deliverance isn't this manifestation of demonic power. Deliverance is breaking demonic power off of your life, right? I think the devil's turned it into a show just to keep the church from actually doing it. That's what happens. In the New Testament, in the early church, when the early believers came, there was, you know, I don't know if you read the book of Mark, there was, people were afflicted by demonic issues everywhere, everywhere. The devil works in the area of the soul, he works over you, and he works through you, manifesting through the soul. It's issues within the soul. It's never the spirit. Your spirit is born again. But it's the wounds and the after effects that are within the soul that he does. The lies, the things that you've experienced, abuse, abandonment, neglect, people who've hurt you through perceptions, people who've hurt you intentionally, these are the things that wound the soul. These are the things that no matter how hard you try, you can't get it out of you. Anybody with me? Yeah. No matter what you do, it's still there. No matter how many verses you read and how much fellowship you go to, how many songs you sing, how many prayers you pray, it doesn't go. Because it's affecting you in the soul. It's not the spirit. And when it affects the soul, it affects the mind. So you start thinking crazy thoughts. It affects the will. So you start acting compulsively. You start doing things that you don't want to do because it's compelled out of something. And it affects the emotion. That's why your emotions get charged in certain situations. Fear just, you know, rocks you. Depression, whatever. Anger. Because it's affecting you at the level of the soul. The devil isn't doing it except that there's a wound there. Or there's a lie there. And the wound has to be healed. And the lie has to be removed. And there's a specific process to that. Then there are the things that are over your life. There are things that are over you. It's not necessarily affecting you internally, but it's affecting you externally. You can't succeed, and you don't know why, right? Not one relationship ever works, and you don't know why, right? You see these effects in your family. 
I'm going back for years. You see the same people with the same sicknesses and the same diseases going back years. Every male in my family has diabetes except one, and that's me. That's right. Do you know why? Because they ain't coming to me. I know who I am. I know what rights are mine. I make no covenant with such matters. Who told you that? My mom would say, oh, when it comes to you, I'm like, it ain't coming to me, mom. And who you're talking about right here. It stops right here. Whoop, not here. It will not come to me, nor will it come anyone to anyone following me in my bloodline. Amen. That's right. It ends now. It ends here. No right of visitation. No right of habitation. No way. No poverty. Some of you, your family's lives have been entrenched in poverty. Entrenched. Some of you, it's just constant chaos and destruction. Mental illness, depression, whatever. Always, there's these generational issues that are, that are existing. They're not necessarily things that are affecting you emotionally, but there are circumstances that are over you because the devil has a right. He cannot do anything to you unless he has a right. And what you need to understand is God's not doing it to you. It's not God's will. God believes you know, God believes you know what you're doing. He believes we're giant killers. He believes we're warriors. He, he has this confidence in us that I don't even know. His confidence is in his spirit that lies within us. But he, has this, he, has, he looks at us and says, oh, Kevin don't know what to do with that. And I'm like, uh, I have no clue what to do with this. And I have to go to him and learn and have him show me what to do with it. But if I will, he will show me. You need this light of illumination, Christian. You need the ultraviolet light to cleanse you. We should be clear vessels we should be pure, clear vessels, not because of our external righteousness. The church wants to think that it's all about this external righteousness. I would rather be internally clean than and externally you could look at me and go, I don't know who, I don't even know if that guy's saved, but I know internally I'm clean, right? My actions may not always support, you know, you know, you know, you guys know what I'm saying? We think that we have to play by actions when inside the internal, the internal side of our lives is, is messed up. It's messed up. We look good. You know, whitewashed tombs. We're saved. We look good on the outside. Who, who cares? Right? Let's, let's be pure vessels. Let's radiate with his glory. When the Lord summons, let's be able to go there. Let's go to the deep places with him. Let's be able to see clearly. Let's be able to understand clearly. Let's be able to hear clearly. Let's be vessels, right, that can produce the things that he's called us to produce. And that comes through cleansing. Light heals. Right? So I'll just read this verse for you first. For once you were in darkness, but now you're in light. Therefore, walk as sons and daughters in the light. Right? Light heals. So one of the things that they discovered about light during the influenza epidemic of the 20s is they discovered that if they took the people and laid them outside in the sunlight for 30 minutes a day and exposed them to fresh air and direct sunlight, the patients were healed. Because UV rays have healing properties upon the human body. They do. You ultraviolet right light not only kills it, it, it kills bacteria in the air. So the, the, the stupidity, right? Somebody's going to send me an email and my wife's probably going to tell me, did you have to go there? And I'm going to say, yes, I did. So the stupidity of sequestering people in their homes is completely contrary to natural science. It is. Locking you in your home is completely contrary to the design that God intended. What happens is, is that UV light goes into your skin. We get vitamin K from our skin. Did you know that? Right? We all know that. But ultraviolet light also goes into your skin and goes into the blood, into the blood, and it cleanses the bacteria within the blood. 
Yes, the ultraviolet light ages us and decays us and all that other stuff. It has negative properties. But God, in his mercy, allowed ultraviolet light to remain because he knows it kills bacteria. So while it's detrimental to us in large doses, it's actually healthy for us in small quantities. It does. UV rise kills bacteria. It's an absolute fact. You can go back and read the papers of the influenza virus of the 1920s, and I've read them. And they discovered this. They began to take the soldiers. This came from the military because they had such an epidemic that during the World War I. And these soldiers were dying of influenza. They didn't know what to do. And somebody said, hey, I discovered that if I lay them out in the sun for 30 minutes and we expose them to fresh air, that their bodies actually recover. <gasps> we can't trust these things. We can't trust these processes. We have to worship at the tree of knowledge. Yeah? We worship not God. We worship at the tree of knowledge. If some guy didn't say it and some man didn't invent it, then we don't, we don't believe it's true. Who told you that? I trust Jesus. I trust Jesus. Just go outside and stand in the sun for 30 minutes. Just let it move on you. You get a little sunshine. You live in the sunshine state, Christian. Get a little sun. Breathe in some fresh air. White light heals depression. Come on. Light has healing properties, not just UV. White light heals depression. Do you know that? You ever see people in depression therapy? They put them in front of a white light. There's other, healing, other methods for healing depression, like stop thinking about yourself all the time, but, you know, nonetheless. That's a big healing for depression, right? They find that blue light heals wounds. Do you know that? They're, they're playing around with blue light and discovering that blue light actually heals wounds. They discovered that red light actually works as a topical antiseptic. Anybody here go to an esthetician? You wouldn't admit it. Now, don't, don't, don't shout me down, ladies. You know, you get the little laser surgery or whatever, the little laser thing, they use a red light. They use red light to heal wounds on the top, and they also use red light to keep for acne. They discovered that light rays bring healing. Isn't that crazy? Colossians 1, we give thanks to the Father who's qualified us with the ability to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. You have an inheritance. Say it with me. I'm qualified with the ability to draw from my inheritance. Just because I'm qualified, come on, come on, just because I'm qualified, with the ability to draw from my inheritance doesn't mean I'm doing it. You're qualified to draw from the inheritance in the saints. You're qualified. That means, but it, but it actually means that you have to actually draw from your inheritance, which requires you to learn your inheritance, learn the Lord, and learn his ways. Everything about Jesus is an invitation. It's an invitation. What we want, we want everybody, we want the Lord to spell it out. He doesn't work like that. God doesn't just spell it out for you. He holds something up and invites you to learn more. And if you don't take the step to learn more, you never learn. That's the way he is. All right, unless you drink of my blood and eat of my body, you have no part, you have no, you know, you cannot have no part of me. Does that make sense? Would that make sense to us? But if you were hearing that for the first time, that makes no sense. He's saying something and is inviting you to ask a question. He's inviting you to learn more. Like, what does that mean? You know, there are things in the scripture. I always tell people, thank God for Peter. Because if Peter didn't ask the question, we wouldn't even have this understanding sometimes. Because Peter would be like, nobody would be good. Like, oh, yes, eat of your body, drink of your blood. Yes, oh, absolutely. Yes, we completely understand that. Yes, yes, yes. Peter's like, what does this mean? You know, there are things that God reveals to you and he will, do, he will, he will show you, but he's doing it as an invitation. 
He doesn't explain himself. He declares himself. Say it with me. Jesus never explains himself. He only declares himself. Right? This is what you got to know about the Lord. He's not like you. He's not human. He doesn't think like a human. He doesn't act like a human. He reveals himself, right? He declares, this is who I am. And then he'll reveal some part of his nature. And in the revelation of what he's showing you, he's inviting you to know more. But if you don't take the invitation, you don't get more. Oh, yeah. That doesn't, I'm telling you, this is exactly how it is. We are participant. You are qualified with the ability to take from your inheritance. In whom we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins. So light heals. Healing can be instant, as we see. Healing can be a process, or healing is a procedure. You have the ability to draw from your inheritance. You have to appropriate your inheritance. So what needs healing in your life this year, Christian? What needs cleansing in your life this year, Christian? What needs illumination in, the, in your life this year? You're heirs of the light. Lastly, light causes growth. The Bible says this, John 1, 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Where there is no light, there is no life. Light brings life. Everything in this world needs light. It's required. So we have access, and we have an ability to have light. Most This, again, I'm just going to tell, tell it like it is. The elephant's in the room. We have arrestedly developed sons and daughters. We do. I, I was, when I came to Christ, I'd see people, they'd been walking with the Lord 20, 30 years, and, they were, and, and within, within a very short time, I was their equal. And I say to myself, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be in this faith for 20 years, and I have a stunted emotional and spiritual growth that, I, that a two-year-old believer can match me. I'm not going to. We, we're filled with it. Our churches are filled with it. Well, I've been saved 25 years, bless God. You know, and within two years, if you if you devote yourself to the Lord, you can ma- you can match that level. I was matching their level, and I was like, and I'm looking to them for mentorship, and they had nothing to give me because they themselves were arrestedly developed. They themselves were stunted. They themselves never took the journey with the Lord. Never developed the intimacy for Him to take them by the hand. Never was willing to go there or push their lives begin the, beyond the limits of comfortability. The church sets a standard of comfortability. We celebrate like cloning. We celebrate like, that we're all like each other. We're not, this church doesn't celebrate. We celebrate uniqueness here. I don't know if you know that or not. Do you know why? Because Jesus celebrates uniqueness. There are not a bunch of Wheaties boxes. The church celebrates the Wheaties box. You go to the church, and within a certain amount of time, you're walking like them and talking like them. I was that guy. You could tell who was in leadership because we'd all had polo polo shirts and khaki pants on, right? All the elders and the assistant pastors, you didn't have to look far. So is there an elder here? Is there a pastor here? Yeah, just look for some guy with a khaki pants and a polo shirt on. That'll tell you who's in ministry here. We all wore it. We wore it like a uniform. So true. There was no uniqueness. We all taught the same way, talked the same way, acted the same way. Everything within the acceptable standard of comfortability. Jesus is dangerous. He's wild. He's free. Look at the 12 disciples. None of them were alike. None of them. Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector. You can't, be, you can't have more polar opposites than those two. Peter, 
Really? Peter couldn't keep his mouth shut. He's always looking to keep looking for a fight. Everybody's got this thing of St. Peter. My thing of St. Peter is he looks like he's, I think St. Peter was St. Peter. I think Peter was missing teeth, you know, because he was in a couple of bar fights. I'm serious. Peter was a fisherman. He was a longshoreman. He cussed. He carried a sword. He pushed everybody away, told the kids, get these kids out of here. You know, Peter, before he came to Jesus, I think he liked a few beers at the bar. And he liked to take his frustration out on a good butt kicking in the back alley. That's what Peter was. Not your ideal. Read the stories of Peter. Read who he was. Read what he was. We sanctify and sanctize them. And we sanctify and sanitize the church. There should be a, there should be a, a, a level of uniformity. Where the, but the uniformity among us is defined by the love of Christ that we have in our hearts. The defining element is this overwhelmingness of uniqueness and love that we have one for the other. You know, you want to have blue hair, have blue hair, right? You want to wear a suit, wear a suit, right? You want to wear tennis shoes, wear tennis shoes. You want to dress to the nines, dress to the nines. Do whatever you want to do. There should be a uniqueness about our lives. We're unique. We're individual. God didn't make us all the same. We have different skin colors. Different, different everything. We're, we're different because our Father made us this way. We cannot be arrestedly developed. We have, to, we, have to be, we have to grow in our maturity so light causes growth. We have to give ourselves more to the light. I'm almost done. We have to give ourselves more to the light. What's going on behind me? Oh, what's going on over there? <laughs> People don't say it with me. People only change when they see the light or they feel the heat. That's how you're going to change. You're only going to change is if you see something different or you have a different vision or a different perspective or something happens to you that causes you to change. We only change when we see the light or we feel the heat. So the last question, what area of life is not growing for you this year? I want to challenge you. I want to show you Jesus is the light of the world. We're coming into a new year. We just had a prophetic new year, a kingdom new year. Now we're going to have a calendar new year. And so we want, we want 2021 to be different than 2020, don't we? No? Oh, excuse me, 2022. So this is, this is Shelly's hello. This is Jody's hello. <laughs> Thank you, Jody. 2022, excuse me, I'm lost in 2020. We want 2022 to be different than 2021. I do. I want to go from glory to glory. I want to change. You realize how powerful you can be? Like I could see like a church can be so powerful. We can be such a powerhouse, you know, and, and, and the older we get, the, all of these transformations that we go with the Lord, the church wants to take all anybody that's over the age of 30 and we want to send them out to the pasture. You're of no use anymore. Can you imagine if people would actually, the believer as they begin to grow and you're in your 60s, you're in your 70s, you're even in your 80s and you have allowed the Lord to change you over decades of your life. Do you imagine the wealth that you bring to the table, the wealth that you bring to the table. So true. So I'm just going to give you a little word, and we're going to close with prayer. But there are people here, right? And I understand this. You feel like your time's over. It's not God's economy. I just want to share that with you. I love it. If you were, if you were not 30 years old, you couldn't even speak in Judaism. Yeah? 
If you were not 30 years old, you could sit in on the council, you could listen to the council, you could be trained by the council. So if you were in a religious context and you were being trained in the ways of Judaism and you were not 30 years old, you were not allowed to speak. You could ask a question, but you were not allowed to pontificate. Only at the age of 30, the priest was allowed to enter the office. If you were not 30, you sat in the seat of the learner, right? Because they valued, and you know what else? Is the oldest spoke last, right? I said that one time, and I had a guy say to me, well, you know, you know Kevin, that wisdom, uh, age is not a guarantee of wisdom. He was some 20-something. And I said, well, neither is youth a guarantee of innovation. So while you say that age is not a guarantee of wisdom, I say to you that just because you're young doesn't mean you're innovative. Just because you're young doesn't mean you're insightful. Uh, come on. Exactly. God's got something for you. That's my point. Young, old, it doesn't matter. God's got something for you. The enemy tries to cut off the most valuable asset the church carries, and it's the seniority of its leadership. It's the seniority of the experiences of lives of believers that have lived towards the kingdom their whole life. And they tell them you're not worth anything. They tell them they relegate them. Oh, you go to the church where, the, where Century Village is. We don't want you anymore. Right? We want aerobic dancers on the stage. That's what we want. We don't present any worship team. If anybody's over the age of 30, if you got gray hair, you don't see any gray-haired worship teams anymore, do you? No? I don't know if you all get out much, but you don't. No? Because we, 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 we've, we don't value it. Does it mean they don't have anything to offer? That's not true at all. What I want you to know is that light came into the world and Jesus is the illumination. And without Jesus, you're forever lost in the dark. And so if you're watching us today and you've never given your life to Jesus, if you're in this room and you've never given your life to Jesus, the Bible says you are hopeless and helpless without him. You are lost and you cannot save yourselves. You will stand before the Lord one day and you will give an account for your life. Without Christ, you will account for every sin you've ever given, every sin you've ever done. Your sins will be measured against you. And the greatest of all of those sins is that you heard the gospel and you refused, to Je you refused Jesus. If you're a believer, you come before sin, before the Lord, and your life is rewarded based upon the life you lived for him. Nothing is ever against you, only what is towards you. But without Christ, it's not very good. And so this is why Jesus came into the world. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever, say, is my name in the Bible? Yes, it is. You're a whosoever. So how does God know me? You're a whosoever. It doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter who you are. The Bible says that if you will believe in Jesus and you will open your heart to him, not a belief with your mind, but a willful surrender of your heart, the Bible says that he will come inside of you and he will forgive you and he will cleanse you. You say, I don't understand it. You don't have to understand it. He doesn't tell you to understand it. He tells you to believe it. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. If that's you and you're in this room and you want to, we're going to pray today and today's the day, not tomorrow, maybe next year, maybe next week. No, not next year, not next week. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. Do not reject the offer that is presented to you, right? So I want you to open up your heart and I want you to just pray the prayer. I want you to say this, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the savior and I need a savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. If that's you, we love you. We bless you. Yeah, come on. Yes. Hit us up with an email. Love to have it. Love to hear from you. Um, we have a prayer team available for you as well. Diana's going to pray. If you have any issues with pancreas, we got, we're going to pray for you over there. But I'm going to bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. May you forever live within his favor. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.